Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows is an epic, inspired podcast bringing innovation to professional development. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows, an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, and anyone vested in the world of education. Um, so I've got an amazing guest with me today, Miss Emily Redmond. She has been a teacher. She's been a principal, and now she is leading the principals and helping them shape uh, the discussions that we have with families. And so we've acknowledged that this this world of education that Epic is, is completely different. It's just a, a totally different setup. And um, Emily, your position has been around for two years. Am I right? Yeah, I think this is the second year that we really have a full team of us. And then before that, there was just um, one lonely soldier. So yeah, we've grown to the point of needing a whole team. Awesome. Okay. So who are you, first of all? I don't want to get too far in real quick. Before we find out your backstory a little bit, who are you and um, how long have you been with Epic? And then what brought you to Epic? Yeah, that's a good question. So I um, taught a, in a really large town here in Oklahoma. I taught at Broken Arrow. And, you know, I love my kids. I love teaching. I love education. I was a math teacher, um, but I was bored. I was bored in the classroom. Um, I just saw a system that wasn't working for the vast majority of kids and my hands were tied as to what I could really do. Um, I couldn't be creative like I wanted to um, because it didn't necessarily fit the mold of what, you know, my administrators were looking for, even though I knew what was best for kids. And so that's why Epic intrigued me because Epic is purely individualized and we have you know, I've said this several times, but um, the programs that I used to write grants for in brick and mortar to try to get, you know, Epic has them because we truly do what's best for students. So um, that's what brought me to Epic. And then after teaching, I just fell in love with the school and I'll never go anywhere else. That is awesome. And and did I miss any roles that you've had here? I mean, you've been an instrumental piece in bringing Epic to where it is today. Well, that's sweet, but I know I was a teacher and then a principal, but I also um, served as the Tulsa Blended Learning Center principal for the very first year. A few yes. Years ago. Okay. Yeah. That is awesome. Okay. And so talk to me about the position you currently have. I know you're training up principals. Is it more than that? Or, you know, what is it that you do here? So, um, we, my department, the directors of principal development, we, it's kind of twofold. We deal with, you know, leadership development. So getting to know yourself to lead yourself, and that has an impact on your teachers and your students and the families that you serve, but also the instructional leadership piece. And that's where we look at, you know, benchmark scores. We look at individualized plans for students, and we really look at things from a big picture and kind of iron out the kinks, if you will, and try to just make things perfect for our families. And that's really the end goal. Awesome. Um, well, 
And like I already said, and I can't toot your horn enough. Um, you've been my go-to on math issues. You're my go-to whenever I need to just really figure things out or talk through something. Um, uh, I'm a, a big Emily supporter around here. <laughs> well, okay. So I chose this topic for a couple of reasons. Data in in the world of education is like a four-letter word, you know? Um, I mean, it is a four-letter word, but like it comes across as, as one of the biggest cuss words around because uh, data doesn't tell a whole story. And so um, there's that component of it. But then for the component of personalizing education, so let's start with the, the four-letter word side of things. Why do you think data gets such a bad rap? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I like to look at data as, you know, data tells us which students and then students tell us what standards they need. And then when we look at those standards, we create the instructional plan for the kid. And I think that sometimes data gets a bad rap because um, if we're not using it with that in mind, the end game in mind, then we just get lost in the numbers. And that's where we lose the personal side of it. Yeah. I, and I think, I mean, I was in the brick and mortar world as well before uh, coming here. And I felt like we would benchmark kids and then nothing, you know, I mean, nothing ever happened with it. Um, the very last year I was in the brick and mortar world, they, they did start uh, utilizing kind of a, a educational uh, personalization, but it was on a broad scale. It was like, okay, third grade overall, you really kind of flunked numbers and operations. We're going to really hone in on numbers and operations, whether, you know, kid X needed numbers and operations or not, you know, kid L really is kind of low in data and probability, but with our main focus on numbers and operations, we're not going to overcome kid L's problems. And so, um, but before that, I mean, it was just, data for the sake of data. We, we were checking off a box for the, the district level. That and, you know, you said kids, kids need all different things at the same time, right? So that's what I loved about the BLC is that we were able to, you know, teach kids what they needed when they needed it. And it wasn't one size fit all, fits all, but also programs, certain programs don't work for all kids. And that's what I experienced in brick and mortar was that one size fits all. Epic yeah. doesn't do that. <laughs> no, gosh. I mean, and almost to the point where we scare off parents and, mm -hmm. and even would-be teachers when they see how many choices we have, uh, you know, it, it can be scary and daunting. And, um, you know, I, I've even seen parents say, I don't know, teacher, what do you want to use? You know, <laughs> uh, just because there's, there's a lot of information. So what are some of the places that we collect this data from? Yeah, um, so our benchmarking system. So we used STAR for our littles to focus on the reading and some numeracy skills. And then we have what's called Mastery Connect that we are utilizing um, for our elementary and our middle school and even our high school students. And Mastery Connect, you know, there's a plethora of data that comes from that. But the main thing that we want to keep in mind is that it tells us, you know, skill specific, how our students are doing on a specific skill. Um, and for our high schoolers, we can really hone in on ACT, ACT skills, which is great. Um, 
So we, we use the, that benchmarking tool. We use several different programs. Um, we have our Epic Essentials programs that we look at data from. And when we're looking at the data, we're looking at growth for students. Um, and growth for student A is going to look different you know, for student B, their growth. Um, and that's where these multiple pieces of data comes into play. One of the things I love most about the position that you hold now is you um, you guys really foster conversations between yourself and the principals that they know how to walk in and have a personalized uh, conversation with their teachers. You know, each one of our principals meets regularly with their teachers. And so where in the brick and mortar world, the principal might come into my classroom once or twice in a, in a year and uh, fill out some evaluation form. Our principals meet with our teachers every single month. And based on how you shape those conversations, Emily, uh, and, and your team, it's not just you, but they can then help those principals learn how to break it down by teacher and then by students in those meetings. And it, it really helps have a conversation. And this is where we get the word pivot from, right? And that's a, a word we like to use a lot. And when one plan's not working, we, we switch to another plan. But not only around curriculum, did this curriculum work or not work? Um, sometimes we pivot the plan because we've we've overcome a, a hump. You know, I, I spent the month of September focusing on uh, genres for a student because their their testing platform said that they really kind of had a deficit in genres. Well, now we're going to pivot to the next standard. And uh, I just, I think the way that you are teaching our principals to divide up, to divide up um, their conversations around data has been just incredibly succinct and impactful for, for the families. And I think too, our principals really, um, that instructional leadership piece, they dig that, right? Because a lot of them were educators, teachers to begin with. And so they like to talk student specific, skill specific. Um, and we're totally able to do that. Like you said, in our monthly um, uh, meetings with our teachers. And then also on top of that, we have team meetings that principals do. And so they're really able to keep a good pulse check in the best interest of our students and families. So, you know, we have the performance-based pay model here, um, and, and teachers get paid really well for doing the job that they're supposed to be doing anyway. Do you think that the data keeps some people from even considering Epic because of that component? Mm, I think if you don't know how to use it, yes. And maybe if you don't quite understand it, um, yeah, I do. I, I think there's a lot of data out there. Um, but again, the thing to keep in mind is all that data is about progress for students. And so it can be daunting at first until you really dig into it and look at it at a student by student level. I was actually just helping a teacher last night, one of my former teachers, um, kind of dig through her roster and look at where her students are starting and where they need to be at the end of the year. And she was seeing how she can make the growth with them. And it's about progress and not perfection. And so that kind of um, helped her centralize and come up with a good plan. So uh, it'd be interesting to go back and, and grab my my set of data again, not just for the same ki kids that I, I grabbed it for before, but uh, globally again. Um, two years ago, I had finished up grad school. One of my last projects, Emma, was um, 
to figure out a plan for the school based on data, right? And so um, I originally said, let's grab second through fourth grade, see where their numbers are. And I was like, well, where can we see real growth happening? And am, it, I, I may get, you know, uh, ripped up and down for, for saying this, but it, it came down to it takes um, about three full years in this model to start showing like not just growth but like exponential growth mm -hmm. uh, and and that's three a three-year veteran student with a you know a, a teacher who's been in the model for that long um, and so when you when you get families coming to us, brand new every single year. I mean, there's never been a year that we haven't had 40 to 123% growth. <laughs> you know, this year's a little different. It's usually, but it usually sits around 40% growth. You know, taking that, that 40% and saying, guys, you're going to have to trust us here. Um, we've, we've got, you know, and, and I'm just pleased that we've been collecting this data for forever and that we can, you know, drill down and see where we're really effective. Um, but we also know, you know, in this model that it takes a teacher a year and a half, 18 months before they fully grasp what they're doing so that then they can start, you know, uh, pushing things forward. Again, my research was is two years old. I have no idea um, what it looks like, but I am I'm, I'm writing myself a note right now. I, I want to know, and I'll update, <laughs> obviously, all of you listeners. But what do you do with that kind of information? How, do, how does that impact your job in training uh, principals who are then training teachers? Yeah, so that information is super helpful to look at as a whole at this on the school because, you know, our instructional team has end of year goals that they want to hit and it's based on information like you just said um however you know it's so important for the principals to look at their team and set goals by grade level set goals just based on you know the teacher's roster and the makeup of the students on that roster so you know maybe i was a teacher and maybe all my kids were scoring two or three grade levels below where they needed to be but that's where the commitment comes in from the teacher and the commitment from the family um, to build that instructional plan and follow through and meet with the teacher and do the lessons and really focus on the standards rather than worrying about, oh man, finishing 100% in some certain program. You right. Know? That's, that's why we just have to take it back to teaching and measuring of standards um, because there are so many different options and it's our it's our job as the educators to build that plan based on standards. Well, and that's one thing I think Epic does better than any other virtual model around um, is that most virtual models have a curriculum and the kid, you know, moves through the curriculum and at the end of the year they're done and they move to the next grade level. But as, as far as I can tell, I don't believe there's a single curriculum out there that has independent reading and writing. You know, and that's a standard from second grade through 12th grade. When do they get independent reading and writing if all they're doing is an online curriculum? Add to that the research standard and then the multimodal uh, literacies and, and, and presentation standards, the listening and speaking standards. I mean, you've got four standards there in just ELA that are 100% missing 
from, you know, the digital platforms. And one of the things I think we've done really well is dissect those curriculums and then also offer teachers who, who step in and do those things, who have those conversations, who can check boxes off on standards that are missing within the curriculum. And I think that's, that is a key turning point for teachers when they're able to say, Hey, you know, this isn't going to cut it. This, this program is not going to cut it for let, like you said, let's just say multimodal literacies. And that's a, a chunk of the standards that uh, one of their kids needs more remediation in. So the ability to pull them from their curriculum for those standards and do something outside of that is huge when it comes to growth for that, that kiddo. And so you were talking about having a discussion with a family earlier. Um, I'm a brand new family to Epic, all right? We're, we're setting the, the stage here. Um, my kiddo is dyslexic. Um, she doesn't test well in anything. Um, but you can tell by just speaking with her that she's bright. How do you have these discussions with families around data from the tools that we use? Yeah, so data obviously just tells one side of the story. And so building that relationship and getting to know the student and the family on the other side of that story, um, using those two pieces together is what is the most helpful. So talking to you as that this first year family about what the these benchmark scores mean as far as, hey, here's where your student's scoring and then making a plan for growth together where that uh, personalized learning plan comes in and then talking about the path on how we're going to get there. That's why Epic is so awesome um, because parents get to play in and they have that ownership and the teachers are right there with them every step of the way. So when you learn about learning styles for your kids and your students, um, that data becomes a tool for you to build a plan based on learning styles. So it's not just, oh, hey, Emily scored 30% on numbers and operations. I'm going to throw her in five different programs because she needs it. It's, hey, Emily scored 30% on numbers and operations. I'm going to spend some time with her and figure out where the disconnect is. And then I'm going to let her prove it to me the way that she needs to prove it to me. And then I'll reassess because she's shown mastery of the standard in her way. Yes. And, you know, the year we figured out that um, Tate had dyslexia, it was her fifth grade year. Uh, we were rolling into February and I just called Tamara Shrek. I was bawling. <laughs> like, I don't get it. You know, my kiddo isn't testing well, but I'm, I can, we're, she used to be in the gifted and talented program. You know, when we, when we would assess kiddos and they scored in a certain percentile, we'd throw them into gifted and talented. And so I knew Tamara knew my kiddo. And so I just called and I was like, Tamara, you've got a kiddo who you've had for three years because she was in gifted and talented. And now I can't get her off of the RTI list. What's going on? And she just kind of let me talk for 30 minutes and, and tell what was going on. And she said, Erin, I want you to go to this website and just start checking boxes. And so I went through and, you know, it turns out not only did we realize that she was dyslexic, but that I was dyslexic too. I, I grew up with the, the label learning disabled from fourth mm -hmm. grade on, uh, repeated fourth grade. I mean, school and I were not best friends, Emily. <laughs> we were yeah, not so best like friends. traditional school, right? Right, like, right. Right. Yeah. So Tamara said, you know what, give her the opportunity to speak 
and mm -hmm. present and teach as much as possible. And so when we started having, we started switching things from instead of reading and then taking a test, why don't you research as much information as you can and present it to your little sister? It was a total game changer. And we, we started a podcast for her that year and the girl was getting like a hundred listens per episode and, and people from across the nation were saying, wow, now I understand what my fifth graders think or, you know, wow, I never thought that my students would have that perspective. And it was just, again, kids will work hard for YouTube likes and TikTok hearts and <laughs> <laughs> comments on their podcasts. And so when we kind of made that shift, it was a totally different learning experience for her. Uh, and it, it, it changed everything for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that whole project-based learning and, and doing real-life application, like teaching of a skill, that actually makes like those test-taking strategies, it makes it easier because of that application process. And so, I mean, talk to me about how much test-taking strategies play into the benchmarks, the state tests, and, and some of that data. Are there ways that we could be teaching our kids to, um, I don't know, I guess to take tests so that the data isn't so skewed so we don't see that dyslexia coming in that way? Yeah, and you know, honestly, I think just familiar, familiarity, however you say the word, whatever, I can spell it, can't pronounce it, so there's my PLP coming through. No, I think that uh, the more they're exposed to the wording and the types of questions, and they take it in an environment of a learning environment and not a you have to prove yourself environment, that's helpful to them. Um, so like with Tatum, I would have had her teach me how she was answering these questions or record it and teach another person. But by doing that, she's taking the test. Yeah. And I know we can't do that for state tests, right? But when we start, meet the kid where they're at, right? And slowly start integrating things and then a few practice tests, then they're exposed to different styles and they feel more comfortable when they go um, and take that test. You know, um, I, I've got to write write it down or else I'm, I'm going to forget to say it in a minute. But um, when we first, before I called Tamara and broke down uh, to her, we were recording us doing math and in I've got a 30 minute video of just doing math because I'm trying to figure out what on earth is going on too and this is where when students move from the brick and mortar world to the online world how many times have you heard um my kid made A's and B's in brick and mortar and now they're here and they're making C's and D's and we've got an F in this or whatever um it's, it's one of the things I think that makes this online world super unforgiving is that, you know, when a kiddo would turn in a math assignment to me uh, in, in the brick and mortar world, I would look at the math problem and I'd start going through how they worked it and I could see exactly where they messed up. I might award partial credit, hand it back, tell them to fix it, bring it back to me. But if I had graded that for real and didn't award partial credit and just said F or you didn't get this right, um, th that grade would go down considerably. And uh, basically in this video recording, I had Tatum 
she was working Khan Academy. And so she would um, write the problem down and then answer the problem and then go put it in the computer. Well, um, she was getting it wrong. And I said, okay, before you enter it in the computer, let me check it, right? And so um, she wrote it down and, and I looked and I, I like, I'm like, all right, all right, you, you did the math right, enter it in. And she said, mom, it's wrong. And I thought, well, what do you mean it's wrong? Well, we go back and we look and she'd written the problem wrong. She transposed two numbers. And so if you write the problem down wrong, you're going to get the wrong answer too. <laughs> so our steps, and we really had to slow way down and say, here's the problem, write it down. Double check the problem. We're good. <laughs> okay. Work the problem. Okay. I'm checking the worked problem. You've got it. It's good. Enter the problem and then don't transpose numbers when you go to enter it. And it really was every single problem ended up being a three-step approach. It's check the problem, write the problem, check that we've written the problem, work the problem, and then check that you've entered it correct before you hit that submit button. And slowing things down and, and making it a three-step process for each um, problem really helped. Uh, but I have this video of her, like this aha moment of, okay, this is what I'm doing wrong. And mm -hmm. that really helped both of us. And it wasn't video for any other reason other than to try to figure out if I was messing up or if it was her or whatever. So, mm -hmm. um, but I wrote down Epic Essentials. You said something a minute ago about stick them in, in platform X and let them go or whatever. And we don't want to just do that, but that is part of the reason you said, um, expose them to the types of questions they're going to see. If your mm -hmm. student is only ever doing apex or only ever doing path blazer or whatever that curriculum is, they're only answering the types of questions that path blazer is put forth then it's going to be hard on that state test because that state test is not going to ask questions like Pathblazer mm -hmm. or Apex. And so getting in and doing the Dreambox, getting in and doing the Mind Play, doing Khan Academy, doing, you know, all IXL, Study Island, all these different ways of seeing tests is, is, is incredibly important. And uh, I know for us, we'll do the digital curriculum, we'll do the Mind Play Dreambox. And then um, I like to, after I've taught a lesson or now the girls have a different teacher with Travis and I being in different positions, when she teaches a lesson, then they'll go through and do a study island or a mastery connect afterwards for like a small formative assessment just to make sure not only did it sink in, but you're going to see these types of test questions. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of times testing gets a bad rap. Um mm -hmm. You know, if it's long or if it's, you know, for no good reason, sure. But even taking a 10-question study island assessment can serve a purpose, and that purpose is being exposed to the test questions, like you were saying. And that's exactly how I feel about, um, you know, IXL. I like to think of Epic Essentials as like a remedial teaching tool, and then we've got Khan Academy thrown in there too, or Flow Vocabulary, Brain Pop, whatever that lesson or teaching tool may be. And then that practice tool, like IXL Study Island, and the assessment tool, like Mastery Connect, that's where the kids are really getting exposed to test-taking strategies and the types of questions. So in our world, right, we've got all these programs. In the brick-and-mortar world, 
that is equivalent to a teacher interpreting a standard, like three different teachers interpreting the standard three different ways. And the kids all learning in different ways because a standard is up to interpretation. And so in our world, we want to expose the kids to the best possible programs so that they are clear on what is expected from them. Have um, you have you seen that new video? I don't remember the guy's name. Um, Jerry Brooks, maybe? Do you know who I'm talking about? He does yeah, the seriously. Yeah. yeah. He did a video just this week, um, you know, old math. And he works this math problem in super quick, 10 seconds. And then he goes, new math. And there's like 45 different ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, those 45 different ways are going to be approached on the state test. That's crazy. crazy. I remember when the new standards came out. And essentially, like slope-intercept form, the concepts of that, not graphing, but the whole input-output concepts are being taught in fourth grade. Yes. That's yeah. Like, that's just, it's just crazy to me. So, the yeah. I that's, think- that's why Epic, like, let the kids explain how they get to the answer. Teach them how to take the test and how to read the questions correctly, just like you did with Tatum, right? And then... Use learning styles. Yeah. Because they don't get that in brick and mortar. No. Um, and it, it's just, I don't know. If, if the very first time they ever see this is in a benchmark or on that mm-hmm. state test, as a parent, you know, I've, I've walked into the state test and, and told my kid, all right, it doesn't matter. It's not a reflection of you. But then I get that score and I'm like, oh gosh, is this a reflection of me? Is this a reflection of her? As a parent, I feel like we're always kind of second guessing these things. Um, and Carter's not even there yet. What are you going to do? I know. <laughs> Wait until he gets in school. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it, I, I think uh, we can tell ourselves one thing all day long, but at the end of the day, when we get the bar graph and the, the, the data back you know, it is a, it is a question like, am I doing the right thing or am I failing? One of the, I think one of the best things that ever happened, uh, to me as a, a teacher and an educator and as a parent was, um, a couple of years ago, my oldest wanted to go to pretty water, the brick and mortar school up the street. And she hadn't been in school since when she was four, she did go to pre-K and halfway through the year, the teacher asked me if I'd ever thought about putting her on meds for her attention. And I was like, I really haven't because she's four, <laughs> you know? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? I'm in this school. I'm going to bring her with me. I'm going to, I'm going to teach her. I'm going to do this. And, you know, every year we get this data back and we're like, is it right? Am I doing the right job? And when she went to the the local school up the street and did the benchmarking there, I don't know what they used. Uh, but I remember her, her teacher asking if I wanted to put her into pre-algebra as a seventh grader instead of seventh grade math. And I thought, okay, I'm not failing her. We're doing good. <laughs> And, and for what it's worth, I was teaching textbooks in, in Khan Academy. I'm not the, the greatest math teacher, but uh, just to give you guys a little bit of, you know, room to breathe and feel good about yourself. Um, they work, you know, if you let them, if you let them work the right way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Um, what else do people need to know? So this, this is for students, teachers, um, leaders. And then, I mean, we've trained uh, seven school districts on how to go virtual. And I know some of them are tuning in. So speak to 
parents for just a second about data. What do you have to say to parents about data? Well, for parents, I would say key questions to ask your teacher. You know, where, what is the data showing? What does this mean? Meaning, you know, where's my kids scoring? What standards should I focus on? And with that, that's the blueprints. And it's not about just teaching to the test. What it's about is getting your student grade level ready and prepared for the next grade level so that those gaps, and everyone has them, <laughs> those gaps um, don't become larger. You know, if, um, if you have a, a student who, you know, doesn't remember names of parallelograms or shapes or can't remember formulas, then that's what you're going to focus on, right? So that next year it's not harder when the standards get harder. Um, and then, so that's kind of like, Pre-game, here's where we're at. We're setting the stage. And then next I would talk about, let's talk about short-term short, short term goals and long-term goals. So this semester or this quarter, here's what we need to accomplish. And then by the end of the year, here's where we need to be. And then what comes after that is the plan and how are you going to get there? And, you know, Epic Essentials, tools like Teaching Text with Khan Academy and the student's personalized learning plan, that's where those tools come into play. And then all along the way, you should be taking those short little assessments to see if what you're doing is working. Um, so for parents, being a partner in that process is just going to totally have a positive effect on your student. Okay. And so talk to teachers about data. Why is it important for them to read and uh, interpret the data? So I would respond to that with a question and it would be without the data, how would you know um, what to teach your students and in what order to teach your students because you know I'm looking at a, a teacher's roster right now full of third through eighth graders and they're all at different levels um, and without benchmark scores we wouldn't necessarily know where to start um, for each kid so that's why well, that's why families choose us and that's what we need to lean in, into is individualization of these uh, programs for each student. So without that data, you know, we kind of be leading the blind, blind leading the blind here. <laughs> yeah. That's what we want to avoid, um, especially avoiding the one size fits all. And so um, you've, you're training principals, but there are other, you know, district leaders and, and administrators here. What do they need to know about the data? I think they need to know, they need to establish a baseline. So whatever programs they're using, you know, establish where you're at as a school, um, set some goals with your leaders, and then um, set some benchmarks, you know, quarterly benchmarks or weekly little formative assessments, and you need to start tracking growth. And so the way you do that is through the data. And without that data, um, like you said, going back to the beginning, Erin, you said, you know, general generic goals in brick and mortar, third grade numbers and operations. Well, not everyone needs that. Right. So that's why you've got to establish a process. And then lastly, uh, if anybody um, from these other districts are listening, what should, I mean, a lot of these districts either had never done virtual before or had only had it as an option for like the alternative kids. What do you say to districts who are now at largely virtual schools? What do they need to do with their data? Well, I would say don't rely on just one program for the data because like you said, I know a lot of schools are using Edgenuity for their virtual platform, um, but Edgenuity 
doesn't offer all learning styles, doesn't offer 100% exposure to the Oklahoma academic standards, and doesn't necessarily offer remediation tools. And so um, when you're thinking about setting those goals based on the data, think about leaning into some other options as well, such as, you know, Khan Academy's free. Um, you know, we've got Study Island IXL. There are other tools out there that you can use um, at a district level um, to look at that data and set some goals. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I, I still can't believe um, Khan Academy is free uh, and just pivoting <laughs> off for a second. They're more than math now. Um, I don't know if you know, but U.S. history, world history, art history can all be uh, taught in their government, personal finance. Uh, I mean, their their goal is to create a free education platform. They started grammar uh, two years ago. And so they're, they're starting with like, what is a noun? And you choose the nouns. I, I just, I cannot believe that platform is as free as it is. I know. And they do that, you know, once a week, a year, or sorry, one, one week out of the year, they do like fundraising. If you want to, I always donate to that. Cause man, I would have been lost in brick and mortar without Khan Academy. I would have been lost in Epic without Khan Academy. <laughs> like, well, I was an elementary teacher. Let me redo algebra two to, uh, <laughs> so I can teach you. And so I made a goal for myself a couple of years ago to, uh, to do their world of math. And I'm, yeah. I've, I've gone through kindergarten. I'm in geometry now. So working That's through that. That's how, you know, Summer Neal, she did the same thing as a teacher. She, I would get texted throughout the summer, I'm in sixth grade math now. And I was like, so proud. She's awesome. <laughs> well, that is all the time we have for today. Uh, if you like what you heard, definitely hit the like button. Go ahead and subscribe and become a frequent user of the program. Uh, rate us if you haven't yet and uh, always tune in next week where we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.